Morning, everybody. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can meet me in Matthew chapter 14. Um, while you're looking that up, let me introduce myself. My name is Steve. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, you may have noticed that there's a lot of blue fence uh, in the front yard, so to speak, um, here. Um, that's going to be here for a while. So I guess we need to get used to that. <laughs> Uh, but the high school has been in a big building project for quite some time. You may have noticed construction going on on the other side of campus. That's now moved over here uh, where they are building a new STEM building uh, on the tennis court. So as somebody before the gathering said, I guess we like science more than sports uh, here in Davis, which sounds about right. Sounds about right. All right, Matthew chapter 14, though, is where we are. Anyway, back to, the, back to the fence just for a minute. I guess what I would just say is it's another one of those moments for us to remember that we are, we are guests here. We don't own this space, and uh, uh, which I think is always this great reminder that as the church, we are um, not about a building, right? We, we are about relationships, community, a people who are the church, whether we happen to be here on a Sunday morning or wherever we may be on Tuesday afternoon or whatever that looks like for us. We are always the church, um, whatever our gathering space may look like on Sunday morning. So thank you, Davis High, for reminding, of that, reminding us of that consistently. Uh, Matthew chapter 14, we are in one of the stories of Jesus. This is a story that comes right in the middle of Matthew's telling of the Jesus story. We're going to begin in verse 13 and read through verse 21. And, uh, and we're going to talk about it for a little bit. So when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, um, This is a remote place, and it's getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Uh, we, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks, and he broke the loaves, and then he gave them to the disciples. He gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over, and the number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. That's kind of an awkward phrase there. But what that means is there was 5,000 men and then a whole bunch of women and children. So maybe 10, 15,000 people fed from these five loaves and two fish. Let's pray. Jesus, as we have said uh, already, we are grateful uh, to be here this morning, to gather together, to uh, worship, to open your word to take communion, to bear witness to the sacrament of baptism, uh, and to celebrate who you are and what you are doing. The good news that you are active, you are at work already. And we don't need to do something to activate that 
but we are invited to participate in it. Take this, and this is good news, God. Would you encourage us? We pray all of this in the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. All right, back in the early days of the pandemic, we can actually say this now, in the early days of the pandemic, there was a lot of, of angst. This actually, I think, has continued on to the present moment. But angst about, like, how, how, how do we help people stay motivated, engaged, focused on uh, whatever it is that we're doing? How do we help them stay focused on the bigger picture and the mission uh, of our of our work, our organization, our project, whatever that thing might be. This was a big question for people in the workforce, for leaders, uh, how to lead people and, and, again, how people stay engaged in the midst of very real and very large challenges. And it wasn't just an early pandemic thing. I think it is something that has continued for a while. But I remember early on people trying to come up with these, like, motivational statements, phrases, different things to try to keep people pumped up despite the unprecedented challenge, right? Here's one of those phrases that, that I have come to especially despise. <clears throat> you got this. You got this. First of all, not grammatically correct. Second of all, it's one of those things that sounds really good and means nothing, right? Sounds really good, it means nothing. And in fact, not only that, but it's one of those things where like when somebody says this to you, you automatically, uh, you, you sort of realize like you have no idea. <laughs> you have no, you, you don't know that I have this, got this. How do you say that in the past tense? You have no idea, right? Oh, sure. You are overworked and you're undersupported and you're dealing with these crazy circumstances, working from home, uh, managing kids and distance learning. And yeah, no one has any idea what is happening or if we're all going to die, but you got this. And it's like, uh, I don't think I do. <laughs> and I don't know that you have it either, right? Not helpful at all. Some of these words and phrases that get tossed around, right? Not helpful at all, especially when you consider that we do have a deep desire, a deep need even, to be genuinely encouraged. We routinely lose courage for all sorts of different reasons. We need our courage to be restored, but then we're fed these empty words, these cliches. And so not only do we have a deep need to be encouraged, we also have a deep ache around the fact that oftentimes we aren't. Right, that we actually feel quite discouraged. And let's, let's just be real here for a minute. The church and Christian culture can be the worst at this. Because not only do we have empty phrases, but then we have this whole like extra layer of spirituality attached to it, right? Let go and let God. What does that mean? When God closes a door, he opens a window. Anybody ever told you that one? Yeah. What about this one? Okay, this one's going to hurt a little bit. I'll pray for you. Right? <clears throat> one of, our, one of our, our, our mission here at Discovery is to help people discover the good news of Jesus. So I want to be very clear about that. But one of, one of our submissions is trying to kill Christianese. 
right? These little phrases that we use that, that sound really good, but need that we have this desire, this ache that we have to be genuinely encouraged. What we need are actual words of substance and truth that instill courage into us. What we need are, are actual opportunities and experiences that, that build that muscle, that fill us back up. We don't need empty cliches and spiritual jargon. Are you with me? Now today is part of our ongoing conversation here at Discovery called Practice or the Practices. Okay. We've been for the last several years now looking at the spiritual disciplines. And I'll say more about that in just a moment. But today is also sort of an epilogue to another conversation that we've been having. This fall we've been weaving our practices together with uh, this talk that we've been having about integrity. Right? And how we grow in generosity. How we become more whole through being generous. So just to help set us up here before we get back into Matthew 14, we are a community that aims to put the teachings of Jesus into practice. Not just people who, who think about it or, or listen to stuff, who absorb information, but people who actually live the, the way that Jesus invited us to live, right? Put his words into practice. The end goal of this is not so that we appear more spiritual, or, or so that we check off some, some lists of, you know, hey, we did, we did our spiritual duty. The goal of the practices is to grow in love. To grow in love. We want to be a community that loves the Lord with all of our heart and soul and strength and mind and loves our neighbor as ourself. Which is experiential. Imaginative. This is lived faith, not just, again, some intellectual downloading or signing off on a belief statement. This is the wild adventure of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of right relationships. Now, speaking of wild adventures, we, we now come to this story about Jesus and the disciples and a whole bunch of fish and bread. So two bits of background here before we get into it that, that I think are helpful in setting the scene. First of all, the story opens with this little phrase, when Jesus heard what had happened. Now what has happened is this. Jesus' cousin, friend, the forerunner of his ministry, John the Baptist, has died. Uh, and it's pretty gruesome, entirely unjust death. And so what we get here in verse 13 is this little picture into the human Jesus, right? Jesus grieving, doing the wise thing, getting away to process and, and, and to heal and to be sad, right? To be sad about his, again, friend, partner, cousin, John, who has just died. So Jesus is doing the wise thing here, but first century social media buzz or whatever they had, they did not have discord back then. I know that for sure. <laughs> Word gets out, right? And, and, and people figure out where he's going and this huge crowd shows up and Matthew tells us that Jesus is moved with compassion. Moved with compassion. This word compassion means to suffer with. Here Jesus is suffering. My family just died. But he has compassion on this crowd. And he joins them in their suffering. This is a beautiful little picture of the good news of Jesus. The gospel itself, right? That God meets us in our suffering. 
that God suffers with us. Now, I'm all for boundaries, but grieving and ministering are not mutually exclusive. It'll look different for us, of course, because we are not Jesus, but growing in integrity, practicing the loving ways of Jesus means allowing all of ourselves, including our pain and our grief and our wounds, to be the means through which other people have access to this grace. It's a, it's a channel through which God bestows his grace on other people. We don't need to get all of our stuff sorted out before we can go serve and love others. Now, again, boundaries are, are really important and helpful, and I'm all for them. But sometimes we, we compartmentalize a bit too much. <clears throat> and we think, oh, i gotta, I got to like, take care of this, and then I can go do this. Jesus meets them in their suffering even as he is suffering. Now, the other bit of background here is that this is the only miracle story that appears in all four of the books about Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four accounts that we have of the life of Jesus, the feeding of the five, 10, 15,000, whatever it was, appears in all four. I think that's a very interesting thing. What that means, I think, is that this particular miracle has some very important things to say to us. There's something about this miracle and what it teaches us that is particularly important. Important enough that all four of these different authors included it in their telling of the Jesus story. So I want to dig into that here for just a moment. First of all, this story shows us that Jesus invites us to participate in what he is doing. God invites us to participate. Verse 16 in the New Living Translation, I, it's, I love this, the, how direct this is. Uh, you feed them. Jesus, it's getting late. Uh, you know, we can't uh, order food. There's not enough you know, pizza places around. We've got to send these people away. We've got to send them off so they can get some food before it gets dark and it gets dangerous to travel. And Jesus says, they don't need to go away. You feed them. What? He is clear. This is very open. And you can do this. You can do this. This truth, this reality that, that God invites us into what he is doing, this idea of participation, it's so different from how things normally work. Right? Most things are transactional. We're marketed to, we're sold products, we're told, hey, if you, if you give us money for this, we'll do this for you, we'll provide this service. And it's in that transactional place, right, that there's some distance that is created, right? I'm over here providing the service. You're over here with your money. Give me that money and I will do this thing for you. The kingdom of God is not something that we can buy or consume. It's not transactional like that. It is relational. It is a reality that we must experience and live. Now, certainly there are benefits, right? Hang out with Jesus and you will see some cool things happen. The sick healed. Five loaves of bread and two fish transformed into a feast. Just think about your story. Think about uh, the stories that we're about to hear when we get to baptism in just a moment, right? There's all kinds of cool things that happen in the kingdom of God, absolutely. But there's a very big difference between an economic exchange and experiencing the kingdom of God. 
There's a difference between knowing some religious information and living in right relationship with the creator of the universe and those who bear his image. Most of, most of what we do, most of where we interact is in this transactional place, the kingdom of God, relational, relationships. And it's in those relationships, in that experience, in that participation that we come to understand in new and fresh and deep ways the truth of the kingdom. Many years ago, many years ago, when I was in college, I spent a summer in inner city Chicago with the Chicago Urban Project. Should be a picture here. That's uh, some of the kids that I worked with. <clears throat> and that is me picking my nose in front of the Sears Tower. Very mature when I was 21. Um, I spent the summer in Chicago. And it was a point in my life where I had, I had been learning a lot of things about, uh, about injustice, about racial reconciliation, about God's heart for... Uh, some of the wrongs that we see in our world to be put right. And I had done some things like studying the book of Amos and studying the gospel of Mark with people, but none of that could really replicate the experience of living in a neighborhood that was marred by decades of injustice, getting to know people that lived there, hearing their stories. Nothing could really replace that participation. And I learned and knew things in a way that I never would have if I was just reading books and watching movies or, or, or whatever the, those different materials might have been. The disciples knew that Jesus could do cool things. We're, we're right at the halfway point in the Gospel of, of Matthew here in chapter 14. They'd seen some stuff for sure. But Jesus, man, he just keeps pressing the gas pedal down on, you can do this. You can do this. You feed them. Participate. Join with me. This desire of Jesus for our participation, it says something about the universe. That this is how God designed things to be. We are invited to play the game. Now, I don't think that Jesus' expectation here is that the disciples perfectly execute a miracle. I just think he wants them to try. I just think he wants them to try and see what happens. Like, give this a shot. I'm here. I'll fill in the gaps for you. But give it a go. You can do this. You feed them. Participation tells us something about how God designed the world to work. This gets to the core of some of our, our, our deepest theological convictions. The, this truth that there is a relationship of love. There is a trinity at the heart of everything. And that this relationship invites us into that. Invites us into that community, into that work, into that experience. Again, not just so that we can, you know, see some cool things, but to participate with the Father and the Son and the Spirit and the restoration of all things. Not because God needs us to do this for him, or that we need to do this to prove that we are, are worthy to God, but simply because this is how God works. This is who God is. He wants to work with us. God is all about team. God is all about team. Beware of those who want to go it alone. 
Team is God's default setting. I think this also shows us uh, or reflects our conviction that, as we've said a few times already this morning, that God is already at work. To, to go back to worship a minute ago, the bush is already burning. And, and Jesus is saying, hey, come. I want you to be a part of this. I want you to see this. I want you to experience this. God is already working. You know, for thousands of years of human history, we've tended to flip it the other way around. And have this sense that God is somewhere else. God's work is happening some other place. And so I need to do something to get him to show up. To get God to show up. To get God to come through in some way. And so I'm going to kill a goat. Or I'm going to do a dance. Or I'm going to perform a ceremony. These days it's more like let's have a prayer meeting. Let's do a Bible study. We get God to come here and show up and do something for us. And I just have this image of Jesus being like, I'm over, like, I'm already doing stuff. Right? Come, come with me. Come with me. You don't need to do all these things, jump through all these hoops to get me to show up. I'm already here. I'm ahead of you. The bush is already burning. Come participate. You feed them. You can do this. Third thing, this invitation does mean that we have the option of non-participation. Right? We're not coerced into any of this. I think this is actually the real dark side of sin. It's not that we blow it or break some rules, it's that we miss out. It's that we miss out. We, we, we walk past that bush. We get focused on, well, we only have, you know, five, uh, five loaves of bread and two fish, um, and the, you know, the village is this far away. We get in the logistics, right? We choose the lesser thing. It might mean choosing going it alone. It might mean we are worshiping another king, pursuing some other love, living in that, that distance, that transactional space instead of in this relational place of the kingdom. We miss out. Last thing here, Jesus' desire for participation is meant to encourage the disciples. This gets into our practice, the practice of encouragement, right? This is where we see the real difference between cliches and actual encouragement. Now, our working definition of this practice here is that encouragement is, it, it, I mean, it's pretty straightforward. It's about putting courage into other people. We're, we're, like, uh, we're like buckets that have little leaks. Hopefully this bucket has no leaks in it. Now you guys are all like, ooh, what's going to happen? But we're like that. We're like buckets that have these little leaks in it. And our courage, like it, it just it comes out over time. And we need it to be refilled and, re and restored. And, and some of the ways that that happens is through relationships with people, through lived experiences with Jesus, through, through those genuine words of truth that we talked about earlier. But primarily through opportunities. Opportunities and experiences. Lived experiences with Jesus. This is why the practices are so important. It's in the doing of the things that the confidence grows. Remember our, our, our Greek lesson from last week, this word pistuo, which is used often in the New Testament to translate to belief or faith. We talked about how this is not just, again, uh, intellectually 
agreeing with an abstract idea, but this is a confidence that grows, a relational confidence that grows over time and with experience. To be filled with courage, for Pistuo to grow, we need opportunities and examples. These opportunities to try things out. You feed them. What, one of the, the big goals in our integrity conversation over this, this, the last several weeks this fall has been to invite you into different things, right? Neighborhood communities, financial generosity, ways to serve both uh, our city our neighbors, and also here at Discovery on Sunday morning, different teams. That is not about filling rosters or meeting budgets or whatever. That is about, hey, come participate. Come and see. Experience this. You feed them. Again, not because we need people to do stuff, but because those opportunities create the experience which builds our pistuo, builds our faith, and builds our courage to keep going, keep trying, keep exploring. Jesus gives the disciples an opportunity. And again, they're, they're focused on the logistics, the, well, we only have this much stuff, but he just keeps inviting them in. One of my favorite parts of this story is that after they get kind of hung up on the details, Jesus is like, okay, I'll do it. But, but not in like a, you know, like, uh, kind of way. It, he just keeps flipping it around. And so he, he starts breaking the bread and, and, and the fish, which must have been really gross. Um, this is just my imagination. But anyway, he's breaking the stuff. And, they, and can you imagine the disciples, right? Like they, they go, they get a basket or whatever it was, and they fill it up and they go pass it out. And they come back and they're like, like okay, do another round. They come back and they're like, you know, they're holding the miracle in their hands. They're holding the miracle in their hands. He keeps inviting them to participate in this. And they experience Jesus' compassion, not just in like a, you know, you know Jesus going, uh, hey guys, I feel compassion towards these people, right? No, they see it. They see his compassion for them in bellies that are filled and laughter that's happening now as they share this meal. And the relief on the face of parents who you know were like, what are we going to do? <laughs> he keeps talking. He keeps healing people. My kids are losing it. They hold the miracle in their hands. We need opportunities and examples. This is why communion and baptism are so vital to our community life. Why they're such a key component of this practice of encouragement. We need to see this. We need to hold the miracle in our hands, the bread and the juice. We, we need to bear witness to people telling their stories and saying publicly for everybody to see, I'm in this. I'm in this kingdom. I'm following this Jesus. This is who I am now. We, we need to see these things, hold this in our hands, have these experiences because that is what encourages us truly. Not words like, you got this. Communion and baptism are called sacraments. This is a word that means signs. They're pictures of what is true. Windows into reality. The reality that God is at work already. And he's simply saying, hey, come. Come do this with me. Come be a part of this. 
but let's feed people together. Are you in? Are you in? That's our question for this morning. Will we join him? Will we participate? We're going to have the band come back now, and what we're going to do is going to be a little bit different, so, so uh, follow my instructions. We're going to sing one more song. During this time, you're invited to one of the four communion stations. And I want you to, to grab the elements and I want you to take them back to your seat with you. After we sing this song, uh, we're going to take communion together. And then after we take communion together, we're going to celebrate baptism um, after that. So um, as, we're, uh, as we're singing this next song again, get up, make sure you grab the elements. And then I'll come back in a moment and lead us through this. But I just want to end one more time with that question. Will you participate? Are you in? Will you join Jesus in what he is doing? Come grab the elements and then take them back to your seat. Hold them for a moment. We'll take communion together here in just a second.